Like walk me through this process, right? Of how how you did what you did, decisions. Um, you know what what's changed, what's different. Uh, and I think oftentimes, you know, we focus on you know what we did wrong because you know the nature of our podcast is to be transparent and vulnerable. But I think I think there's an opportunity to say, hey, like here's some things we got right. We might not have known they were right when it happened, but look, looking back over ten years of decisions at where you guys are today, you can kind of say like, yeah, there's some trends there that are like. Yeah, we, we we made some bad decisions, but we also made some ones that worked. And, and so I, I think, you know, maybe not bragging, but dude, like even I want to know. So I because this is kind of live. Like I want to like, all right, talk. I got all these reasons why I'm like, oh, I don't have time, money, energy, effort. Like, hey, here's how to think about it. Pros, cons and, you know, all the all the stuff that helps somebody think about it. Almost 20 years ago, our paths crossed in the sneaker world. And since then, we have been on a professional and personal journey together. We've made a lot of mistakes and had a lot of fun, and even a few wins along the way. Our goal is to share our experiences and insights so you don't have to make some of the same errors that we did. And in addition, we want to help you begin to think about things a little different. So join us as we unpack our unsolicited and sometimes polarizing views on business, faith, and family with questions that make you want to unfollow. DC, what up, man? What Welcome up, back. Another episode of Unfollow. Good to see you, man. I, I say it's been a long time, but it's probably been about a week. Uh, and I'm looking forward to this conversation because I'm looking forward to learning and listening uh, and hopefully sharing a little bit as well. But today, man, this episode, we're going to dig into wealth, real estate, income, and all about money. And I think we talked about money before. So we talked about debt and mental baggage and math baggage and how you you know how you spend money and all this stuff but today a little different we're going to talk about income wealth creation and how you go about building that and some of the things that not only you've gone through transparently but also like how have you built what you and Joe are doing today i mean I, i'm your i'm your buddy man and i've known you for a couple decades and you know i know a little bit about your deals but like i, I got to admit like I want to know, like, how the heck do you do this stuff? And like, you know, I I, I sh- shared on the podcast recently, like, dude, I hate the whole real estate process. I hate it. Like, I get, I get, my blood pressure goes up just thinking about buying or selling a house. But I, so I, I think I want to unpack that. So I'm, I'm kind of just listening and learning. So I want to kind of find out more about your journey and kind of some actionable things that people could really take advantage of to reset their own mindset. I, my feeling is there's people who are like me. You have some income, you got some assets, but it's like, hey, what does that next level look like? And like, help me like get off the ledge and, you know, stop stop being afraid. I think the first thing you should know is that this is advice that you are getting for free. So it's probably worth yeah. what you're paying for it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think the second thing is, is that you teach Financial Peach University every season at your church, right? You are well-versed in the difference between an asset and a liability. You know what it looks like to balance your budget at home. Um, you've had zero dollars in your bank account and you've had a lot of dollars in your bank account, right? So you've vacillated back and forth. So I would ask you, like when you start to think about money for yourself, like what are your first feelings? How... If I was to ask you on the street, like, what does money mean to you? How do you respond? I think money is um, power. Money is control. 
money is value, certainty, and I'd say all those things add up to freedom, right? The ability to do uh, what you desire, to open doors, to help, like all those things. So, you know, money is this kind of universal solvent, right, of opportunity. But it's also, say money isn't radioactive, but I think I've grown up thinking wealth is radioactive. That maybe it's not evil, but you got to like handle it with care because I grew up, you know, knowing that I didn't have it. So the people that do have it, like, you know, so there's probably some scarcity mentality with me. But I'd say at the end of the day, money is it's power, it's control, it's, it's value. Um, yeah, it's um, and it's, it's made up, right? It's intrinsic value. It doesn't actually have value, but we give it all this value, right? No, it's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. So I think the first thing that you have to do is, is come to that realization for yourself of like, hey, when I think about money, how does it make me feel? Am I scared of it? Do, do I feel like I need more of it? Uh, do I have some sort of baggage that I need to kind of deal with on that side of it? Um, and then I think the second thing you need to think about is, is do I feel like it's infinite or do I feel like that it's a scarce resource? And I think that will help to drive the start of your mindset. So I think the first thing you need to know going into this is that I probably always haven't had words for this, but I've probably always leaned this way naturally. So I understand everybody out there listening to this does not necessarily have some of the same natural leanings I do, whether, you know, it's, it's about being entrepreneurial or it's about, you know, hustling a little bit, or it's about like finding something for a dollar and selling it for two. Like I get that. It's not inside of everybody. Um, and so there's some natural kind of dispositions I have towards like business and real estate and, and commerce that maybe not everybody has. Um, but I don't know that it was something that was talked about in my household growing up either. So it's not something that like my dad was constantly talking about in, like buying something and selling something, um, you know, generating wealth and income. In fact, when we would ask my mom, like how much money does dad make? She would say, well, we don't talk about that. And I remember very specifically third grade, all of my clothes were made by my mom and they were all from like this same Hawaiian pattern. I had like the short, the shirt and the shorts that matched, right? And yeah, in we need pics. Uh-huh. <laughs> we need pictures. Yeah. I'll try to find some. And, and in hindsight, I realized that like mom was doing that to try to save money, right? Like we didn't have unlimited resources. And my parents were, you know, I was born in Section 8 housing. So they lived in a small apartment that technically qualified for Section 8 housing. And then as my dad began to work his way through his career at um, a power company, you know, he built the house we lived in, you know, like he, they kind of worked their way up within our, you know, honestly kind of impoverished community in West Virginia. But money was something that we never talked about. Like my parents always made every effort to get us what we need. But I would tell you that like we didn't have a ton of extra stuff. And my dad kind of really taught me to make the most out of what I had. And I think that was a really good mindset or resource for going down the road of like being able to look at something and saying, hey, I might not be able to have the exact tool that I need right now or the exact thing that I need right now, but I bet if I do this, I can improve it. And so when you think about real estate for us, we're able to look at things that nobody else sees value in and figure out a solution for it um, to improve it. And it's funny, I don't know that my dad was thinking that, but it was something that he built into us. It was, hey, there's a problem. We're not going to run out and buy what you need or what you think you need to fix this thing 
I need you to figure out how to fix this thing with what we have here. Now, in, in retrospect, after we left the house, he bought a new tractor. You know, he has the best equipment now, like all that kind of stuff. But when we didn't have a lot, like he taught us how to be resourceful, you know. And I know you went through that in the Parker household probably early on too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you may do it with you had. And a lot of times that meant going without you know, some of the things that would have been nice to have clothes, electronics, technology. I mean, you know, we, we're the family that I got hand me down clothes. You know, we didn't get the Atari until everybody else moved on to the Nintendo. We didn't get this Nintendo until everybody else had a Sega. So we were never on trend ever, like didn't have cable. But I think what it did was it showed you not only the value of kind of hard work, but also it. Yeah, it almost birthed creativity that you had to be an entrepreneur to create opportunities. And so, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. And now you've got like 10 jobs right now and all kind of all this kind of stuff. So it's more. Of, but I guess let's think about your story. Right. How do you let's start where you are today and then work back? Because I feel like oftentimes we kind of lead up to how did you get where you got? But I want to know, like, where where is Calfi like corporation today? Right. With how many your businesses? You got several. Right. The businesses, the property. What does that look like today? And then we'll go back, call it a decade, decade and a half. Like, walk us through, like, what does that journey look like from, like, all right, I'm Daryl. I got a job designing, you know, planograms in a store and fixtures to I'm Daryl and I've got, like, multiple businesses, property, multiple revenue streams. Like, so where, where are you today as of, uh, you know, it, last day of September. Yeah, last day of September. Um, we finished our corporate taxes two weeks ago. So we got childcare so we could have a really sexy date night and do our taxes. <laughs> oh, that sounds fun. That's what you have to look forward to, guys, if, if you do this right. Yeah, and at this point in our careers, doing taxes means like getting everything together for um, our CPA. So we have to kind of organize that. And so I've got a pretty good look at it. And I think the first thing you should know is that in 2007, we had $0 in our bank account. We had $0 in our bank account. And today, our, our real estate holdings are in about the $5 million range. So we went from having $0 in our bank account to having real estate that's worth about $5 million. And our, our house, our farmhouse is not included in that. This is all commercial, residential investment type of property. And there's stuff that's coming up that would double that number, right? So there's stuff coming up that would grow us even more. And I think that's why I was excited about taking this new season into doing real estate full-time is that I wanted to give a shot at if we were going at it full-time, could we really grow this thing in a big way? Um, so I say, I say all that very, like, not, not as like a flex or like a humble brag, but just like Yeah, say, yeah, yeah, not a flex, know? yeah, yeah. But just how far God's brought us, right? Like God has yeah. brought us yeah. in the 14 years we've been doing this from nothing to something and we could lose it all tomorrow and I'm okay with that because I know what it's like to be at zero, you know? And so I just say all that to say like I'm super grateful and um, for whatever time we have here, like let's just keep going. So we have done a little over 100,000 square feet of uh, real estate whether it's been like renovations, whether it's been flips, whether it's been uh, projects that we hold, mostly here in Lynchburg, uh, where we live now. It's a smaller city of about 75,000 people during 
you know, the night and probably about 125,000 during the day because, you know, the county's outside of it. So it's like a sea level market. Um, we're about an hour and a half away from Richmond. Uh, we're about three hours away from Charlotte. So we're kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, but because of that, we're able to kind of get to who we need to get to learn about a piece of real estate, you know, maybe get a phone call with about something off market. Um, so we get a lot of like direct referrals on things because we're in a smaller market and, and kind of people know who we are. So how much does the market, I haven't thought about this. You're, uh, because you're, you know, if you're in New York, San Fran, whatever, right. I mean, the, the capital required to do what you do would be, you know, exponentially greater. How much does that accessible real estate, or I guess it's all relative, right. But does that give you kind of a, a leg up by starting, you know, in a market like a Lynchburg that helps you kind of navigate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so from just like a, a getting started perspective, yeah. right? Cause the truth is, is that I could drop into Austin, Texas tomorrow and I could do the exact same thing because I've got momentum, right? My mindset is there. I know what it takes. I've got access to capital now, like, but getting started in Lynchburg was a huge win, right? Because we bought our first building. It was 6,000 square feet. We bought it with a partner for $110,000 on Commerce Street in downtown Lynchburg. And today, uh, that building is probably worth half a million dollars. And we sold it two, three years ago for four seventy. Um, and all in our investment. Was so you like, bought it for what one? Bought it for what one? One ten. Bought it for one ten. We put one hundred thirty five thousand into it renovation wise. So we were at two forty five. We held it for seven years while we cash flowed net. Cash flowed net sixteen thousand dollars a year, and we um, paid our note down to be about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And then we sold it at four seventy and split the proceeds. So. Yeah, that's not too shabby, man. So how does that? All right. So that's where you guys are today. The the business side of kind of financially. 2007, zero dollars in your bank account. Like what is the, you know, obviously it's a fast forward version, you know, 14 years, zero. You might have had a house in, right? Not really money in bank account. You're both working. But like, how did, how did that first deal come to life? And then like, what are those steps to get? through, I guess, your own personal finance situation to get to where now, you know, you've got, this is a business. This is a, a real estate company. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first thing is that people would rather talk about their sex lives than their money. Yeah. Right. Like you, you would rather talk to me about how you and Alicia do. Next episode. Next episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what you do rather than talk to me about what's in your bank account. So I'm the opposite. I think I would way rather have conversation with you about my money than my sex life, you know, because maybe it was off off limits as a kid, you know, or maybe I just enjoy it. Like I love the I love the game and the hustle. And I think that's something important. You and I are always talking about race. We're always talking about, you know, how do we include other people? And I think it's a game, right? So like if you grew up in a family or a culture um, or a climate where you don't know what the rules are to making money, to making income, right? Like, of course, you're not going to have that kind of growth mindset or you're not going to think that certain things are possible. And so I think that's one of the biggest things I love doing now is interacting with people across a broad spectrum, um, especially people that are, are hardworking and want to f- figure something out and teach them how the game is played, right? So um, 
I would say 2007, we had $0 in our bank account. That didn't happen by accident. That happened because um, we were having way too much fun, right? And we didn't know the difference between an asset and a liability. I would tell you that it was also because our marriage was not in a healthy spot. Um, because prior to that, we had just sold a house and made $50,000. And like a year later, we got $0 in our bank account. Like, how does that happen? You know, we just weren't wise. And so I think what I would tell you as a tip for if you're married and you want to go into real estate investing is stay married and have a healthy marriage. It's <laughs> a good tip. Right? I've got a bunch of real estate mentors and um, a lot of them have gone through divorces. And in fact, there's, there's probably only one that is still in his original marriage. And it just, it's stressful on a marriage, Ooh. right? And so it's a big, it's a big red flag, right? It's like, hey, if you're going to do this, you got to stay guarded, all right? There's going to be a lot of things that grab for your attention, a lot of other things you could do every day, every evening that keep you away from your family because it's not a nine to five, right? Like something is always happening with real estate. Oh, so to translate, so what you're saying though is that even the real estate development investment as a career or, you know, because you were kind of side hustling it. You're saying that occupational category lends itself to, yeah, marriages or families that might get um, put to the side or on the back burner because of the opportunity to manage almost like workaholism, but real estate workaholism. 100 percent. Yeah. I think, you know, egos involved, right? Bigger is better. And like you're chasing down the next big deal and like you're always hustling after it right so human nature still comes into play but it just so happens that the five or six real estate mentors that i have only one of them is on their original marriage and i've actually asked them all like directly like hey what happened and they just said like hey i fell in love with the projects and the work more than my family and i didn't pay attention to that you know or they or their partner really wasn't on board right like their partner was interested in something very different and so they really didn't share a similar interest. And so one of the benefits is, is that Johanna shares a very similar interest. You know, like Joe yeah. is. Might be the inverse. It might be like Joe has an interest and Daryl's like, all right. Yeah. Like, in fact, she closed <laughs> yeah. on a piece of property yeah. yesterday by herself. Like, like her name on it. Like, I didn't have anything to do with it. Like, she was just doing her thing, you know. Very Proverbs 31. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah. Um, but I think we got to zero dollars in our bank account because our, we just we weren't wise. We weren't focused um, on some of the basic blocking and tackling that you teach in financial peace. Right. Like there's no way you go from where we were at to where we're at today. If we would have kept the same trajectory, we would have been divorced. You know, we would have had even less dollars in our bank account. Like we would have had to start all over again. Um and so I think our marriage healing in 2008, a big part of that was catching a similar vision together and working on real estate together and starting down that path. But another big part of that was really good marriage counseling that included conversations about money. And it was the basic blocking and tackling that you teach in financial peace. So if a couple came to you, right, and their marriage was a mess, would you tell them to go out and invest in real estate? <laughs> no, they yeah, had quite the opposite. Like, dude, like get a budget, get an emergency fund, like track your spending. It'd be, uh, be like 
stabilize, right? It, you know, because I think your financial health oftentimes, you know, does reflect some of your marital relationship health, right? So it'd be like triage mode, like. Let's just stabilize the patient. Yeah. 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 And that was us, right? Like you're going to argue about three things in your marriage, sex, money, family. And we were constantly arguing about or not arguing about, you know, all, well, two of those three. I'll let you figure out which ones they were. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't family. (laughs) Um, I love it. So, yeah, I think it was a slow build from there. But once we got our legs underneath us with our, our finances, right, and we started doing the basic blocking and tackling that you're talking about, I mean, I'll never forget doing our first budget together four five years into our marriage, right? Like real budget. You know, we had gone through premarital counseling after we were married, which is, you know, ridiculous for two pastor's kids. And part of that was like balancing our budget. And so we did it, and um, yeah, we've never looked back on that. It's big. So that first, that first deal, how how did that? Because I think what's so I guess I give you some context, right? So I think part of our audience, right? You're, uh, I think we've probably got you know above average income friends, family, and in network who listen to our podcast, right? So you're you're a high income earner, might have an okay net worth, but right, but so you you earn income. Uh, you might own a house or two or, or rental property, but I think the concept of like leverage and equity and some of those things that we use in our personal finances, using those in business for real estate, or it's just a different kind of beast. So some of the, hey, I got to get out of debt that works for personal finance. Well, debt can be a great tool when you're working in business. So like, how did you guys make that shift to like, hey, let's, we got our personal house in order now let's pull money together and leverage, you know, uh, you know, a mentorship and some guidance to get a building and start to how, how that snowball start to roll down the hill, I guess. Yeah. So I think I have an unpopular opinion, and that is that your personal finances and your business finances are completely different. Right. Your personal finances at home are about balancing your budget so that your not spending more than you make. You know, you always say act your wage. You know, I think that's a great idea for your personal finances. On the business side, that's not true, right? You're balancing a budget on expenses, but you're also really using leverage, right? So whereas you teach in Financial Peace University, debt is bad. I would argue that debt is very good on the business side, especially as it applies to real estate. I mean, when I can use somebody else's money um, at a very low interest rate and increase the equity in a property, reduce my tax load, and create passive income from that, that's a no-brainer, right? And so... It, it does take a complete mindset shift, right? So the, the most fearful, most common question I get is, is, well, how do you find your money to do your first deal? Right. And my feedback is always, well, have you found your first deal yet? Because here's the thing. They print money every day, right? Like there's money out there for a good deal. So what you have to do is learn how to analyze a deal and look at a real estate deal and say, okay, this is a good deal. And then come to me with the question of how do I find money to do this deal? And then I'm going to give you a bunch of different ways to find that capital. One is a local bank. 
Do you have a, a good local bank that you work with? You should have three as a real estate investor at a minimum. Um, and those guys can be great resources. Um, the second thing I would tell you is, is don't walk into a bank and say, I want to buy a house. You say, I want to buy an investment property. Okay. That's game language right there. And that, write that down. I want to buy an investment property. Cause if you walk into the bank and say, Hey, I want to buy a house, right? They're triggered that says, okay, this is a residential deal. Um, this is a deal that's going to have a lot of paperwork to it. This is going to have to go through a certain part of our lending operation. But when you say investment property, the banker hears commercial loan and they're able to keep those in house and those don't have to go through the same hoops or go through the same process. And so they've got more flexibility. Now you also don't qualify for a four or 5% down kind of deal, but you're, you're able to leverage things differently than you were if you were buying, you know, your first house. Um, the other thing that I hear often is, is like, well, how do you find your deals? Like, how do you find the next? Well, you find it by looking, right? And you and I both know this. If you're getting ready to buy a new Toyota Sienna for your family, all of a sudden you start seeing Toyota Siennas everywhere, right? So don't ask me to go to coffee. Ask me, how do you get money for your deal? And ask me where you find your deals if you haven't been looking for them, right? Because once it happens is you start looking for them, they will start to appear, and whether that's on the MLS or whether that's on Craigslist or whether that's um, on Facebook Marketplace, you know, there's multiple places to, to find them. It's just about you looking, and I think once you start looking, they appear. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I think there's something you touched on that I think is a critical point, even for me, right, who I consider myself maybe slightly above average in financial literacy. But the reason I taught, like, Financial Peace University and, you know, I have a financial advisor because I don't. Right. So I, I don't know enough. So I I help, you know, I get access to assets. But one thing you talked about, which I think is the key to understanding, why would you even think about real estate? Right. People like I got to save for college. I got my own house. I got bills like I got my own thing going on. I'm working 50 hours a week, child care, daycare, whatever. And I think the key point of it to me, I think the big piece, while I'm so probably uh, bullish on learning more this year is just the concept of leverage, right? Where, hey, there's a building for $500,000. I can pay, let's call it $50,000, right? And take out a loan, but I get the tax benefits. I get the equity benefits as if I owned $500,000. So it's like uh, my my investment in the property is smaller than the benefit I can get. So then when it comes time for tax, when it comes time to you know even rental or residual income, it throws off benefits and advantages of being, call it a half a million dollar investment. And I've invested, call it my $50,000. And so I think for me, the same concept in my home, right? It's, it's a different concept. So to your point, it's like, well, the way you think about your house is very different. But I, I think that's the piece for me that like, did you guys just coming in? Did you guys know that you wanted to do leverage tax advantage, you know, did you guys actively seek those benefits or was it just like, Hey, real estate sounds cool. Let's just try it. Like, or did you guys deliberately say like, Hey, here's, here's this, you know, awesome benefit. Let's put in the work to, to, yeah. to make it happen. I had read a book called rich dad, poor dad, which everybody that's in real estate oh, yeah. will tell yeah. you, Hey, that's my yeah. favorite book. But what's interesting yeah. is, is that's really not a real estate book. It's really a mindset book. It's really about, Oh, you know, an abundance mindset versus a 
um, scarcity mindset. But it does start the ball rolling on thinking about things from that real estate perspective. And so I'd say that was step number one. And then step number two was we did that first deal I was telling you about um, where we bought it for 110, invested 135, sold it for 470. That deal we did tax credits. So we did, there were some state tax credits available for that building. And so we went through the process of filling out the paperwork and did these tax credits. And we got about $25,000 worth of tax credits back. And for about seven years, I didn't pay any state taxes. So like I would literally check the box for our, you know, you've got your HR person at work, right? And so you would get your, you know, your package and it would say like, okay, like what are your deductions? And, you know, and I would tell them, do not take any state taxes out of my check. And every time they would say like, hey, are you sure about this? And I'm like, absolutely. And so that was my first like trigger of like, man, like that's real money. And then the other thing that's true is, is that as we've held an added property, our accountant will deduct every year the depreciation of those assets, right? So just like other assets, you can take a depreciation, but with real estate, the depreciation is even better over a longer period of time. And what happens is, is that when you look on, if you look at your income and then you take the depreciation, it knocks your income down every year. And so you pay lower, lower taxes. Right. And so I think that's the bigger thing to teach that people get so like frustrated about with the wealthy is like, they're like, well, they don't pay as much taxes as a barista at, you know, Starbucks. And like, I get that perspective, but they also have understood how the real estate game works and they hire people who understand how the real estate game works. And so they're just paying less taxes because of their large investment in real estate. And the government set that up. Like, we're not in charge of the controls, like, or the, the rules of the game. But if you understand the rules of the game, then you can take advantage of them. And so what we do is, is that we have, like I said, about $5 million worth of real estate um, that Joe and I own that we're in partnerships on and that what happens at the end of, you know, every tax season is that when we get a K one back from those real estate holdings, there's a huge tax deduction in there for real estate. And people say, well, why, why is that? Why does the government do that? Well, the government does not want to own housing, right? The U S government does not want to be in charge of commercial real estate or residential real estate. That's why the U S post office rents from one of my friends, right? They don't own the post office, actually rent the post office location, you know? So what happens is, is that they leave that up to the general public. And so if the general public is willing to create housing or create office space or whatever, they give them a tax incentive to do that, right? It's super simple to understand. And so what I think is important for you to understand is is that as you get into this long term with real estate, um, you can utilize it to offset your income. So we, you know, for a long time I had a W-2, so had a well-paying W-2 job and it would take taxes out every year. And in addition to that, like I would have deductions from our real estate companies. And so by the time we got done, like we were never paying taxes. Like we were getting a return by the time you looked at my W-2 that had taken taxes out all year. And then you look at our deductions, like we were getting money back every year on our taxes. That's huge. So how do you, so thinking about, so like you said, like instead of, saying hey how how do you get the money it's like well find find the good deal and those that you know that just that action of 
you know, looking and exploring starts to starts that engine. It's kind of a mindset shift as well. How do you recommend? And, and obviously, this is free advice, so you get what you pay for. But like, is it buying a house or a complex for? Is it rental uh, income? Is it commercial because people are leasing it? Is it a flip? Like, and obviously, there's you know wide variances. You know, there's no right one way to do it. There's you know, it's like our end science of it. But like, how do you think about? What are the behaviors and beliefs that you use to decide how to do it? And if you're like, use me as an example. Hey, like me, I'm in, you know, Fort Worth, Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. You know, housing market is insane. I wish we had actually like kept our first house because I mean, the like, it was it's insane now, right? Like, but you know, high high. You know, I, I think um, appreciation in housing now. I'm to the point where it's getting ridiculous. But like, walk me through how to think about. You know, is it all those all those options and how to how to start to 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 right size my thinking so that, you know, like when I'm going to talk to Alicia this weekend, say, hey, let's think about real estate. You know, it's a it's an easier conversation. Well, just tell her you're going to write Daryl's real estate company a check. And then don't worry about it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and then don't don't do it. And then the, actually, I'll, I do want to talk about that at the end of this, because there are like actually invest real yeah. estate investment options yeah. where you can be a part of something yeah. and not necessarily hold a hammer yep. or, you know, ca- yep. call a contractor, which yeah, is 100%. probably maybe my, my speed. Yeah. And I think that's perfect for people who don't want to do the physical part of it. Right. And it honestly creates a really cool cycle because there are folks out there who do do want a physical part of it and need the capital to do that. Right. So, but you get the tax benefits, um, on the investment side that you were talking about earlier. So, Um, I will give you the same advice we're giving every young person that's walking into the kitchen at the farmhouse right now. So over the last, let's call it month, we've had at least three young people and couples that are, are looking to buy their first house. And so Johanna is a real estate agent. Um, and she's been amazing at her job as you know, she was finishing up her cancer treatments. She was literally doing deals like in on, in the oncology center, right? Like she's such a hustler. She's such a three on the Enneagram, right? She's such a three. Um, but we have told them all find a first house that you like. You don't have to love it. A first house that you like and understand that it will not be your forever home. And again, this is my personal opinion. This is our personal opinion. So take it for you can disagree with it, but this first house is not going to be your forever home, but what it's going to become is going to become a bank account for you. So let's say that you buy this first house. It's $150,000. You live in it for a couple years, which by the way, do you know the average life of a note, whether it's residential or commercial? Three. You're a little low. The average life of a, of a note is seven years. But when you go, yeah, but when you go to amortize it, they ask you, do you want a 30, a 20 or a 15, right? They never last 30, 20 or 15. The only people that have done that, I think are my in-laws. And that's because, you know, they're incredibly disciplined and lived in the same place for 20 years. But, um, what you need to do is look at that first house as a house that I like and a house that you think, Hey, if I didn't live here anymore, would I be okay with still owning this house and renting it out? Right, that's the mindset that that I'm encouraging young people to have right now, because you're going to move out of your apartment that you're paying a thousand bucks a month for. 
you're going to buy a house for $150,000 and your monthly payment's going to be 750 bucks plus principal, uh, plus interest, plus maybe taxes, you know, some other costs, you're going to still be under what you were paying when you were living in the apartment, right? So you're going to be all giddy. You saved a hundred bucks or so a month. You think it's great. Um, but what happens is, is that in that first couple of years, you're paying heavy on interest. So if you can take the difference between what you're saving and put that against principal, you'll lower your principal, right? So let's say again, you bought the house for 150, you're only paying 800 bucks a month now instead of the thousand dollars you were renting. I would tell you to take that other 200 bucks cause you were already living like that, right? And put that down on principal directly. So then fast forward three years later, you have a baby, you get a new job offer in Austin, Texas, whatever that is, and you move away. Instead of selling that house that you were in, I want you to hold on to that house and then I want you to turn around and rent that house out. Whether you rent out the whole house, whether you rent out the rooms in that house, whatever you do. And here's why. Because what's happening is, is that somebody is paying you rent, right? You're paying down the mortgage on that house, right? And so as you do that, you're creating larger amount of equity in that property that you own. And you still get the tax advantages of having that as an investment property, right? So the other way you could do it is, is you could set up a separate LLC, you know, maybe it's Adrian's houses, you know, LLC, and you put that house in that and it's your first of however many houses you want to do, but then you get the tax advantages of that. And then somebody else is paying down your mortgage and then you get down the road about 10 years and you take a look at that principle that number one, you put that extra 200 bucks back towards for the first three years. And then for the last, you know, let's call it five to seven years, somebody else has been paying that down. Right. And you look at it and sure, maybe the house needs some updates. Maybe it needs some paint. Maybe it needs a new HVAC unit, whatever at the end of the 10 years, but you still have this asset. And the other thing is, is that you've got all this equity in it. So then Adrian says, well, I, I'm excited about opening up a sugar donut shop with Alicia. Where in the world are we going to get $50,000 from? And you turn around and look at that house in Lynchburg that you own, right? And you're like, holy crap, we've got a ton of equity. I can take out a, a, line, of, a line of credit against that. The, the rates are super low, doesn't really have many closing costs, right? And I can use that basically as an additional bank account while... Good, it's yeah. also still being paid down by my renters. Yeah, it's a win. That's a win, win, win. Yeah. yeah. And that's just yeah. your first deal. That's your first house, right? We're not yeah. even talking about going out here and doing this professionally. We're talking about you literally owning one house, moving to Austin, Texas, buying another house, right? Like, that's it. That's all you got to do, right? That's your first deal. The challenge is, is that you really have to stack a bunch of single family rentals together um, to really make money at it over a long period though, right? So people say, well, I'm only making a couple hundred bucks per house, you know? And I would tell you that like single family renting with houses is hard unless you've got a large number of them, like a big quantity of them. But if you look at that example that we just went through together and you really only hold on to that one house, it's like a savings account, right? And somebody else is paying into it and you're pulling money out, which I, I think is great. You can use for whatever else you want to. You can use it to invest in your second deal. You can use it to open up your sugar donut shop, you know, however you want to look at yeah. it. That's good. That's good. So I think thinking through this, because obviously I think people 
intuitively know that, but it's like, oh, property and tax and like all the stuff that comes along with managing it. I guess, how did you guys, like, when did you guys get to the point where you were confident doing that, right? Where you're like, because, you know, you and Joe are working, you're doing your thing and like, hey, we got property and, you know, you still got to do stuff, right? Um, I guess, when did you guys see the light? You're like, oh, crap, like, let's do this, right? Versus, hey, let's just keep a house or two. When did you say, no, let's let's get $5 million worth of real estate holdings? Like, what was that moment where you saw the light? Because I think you saw past the, the burden of, call it, you know, it's still, it's work, right, to, to help do that. But when did the benefits and the reward start to outweigh maybe the risk or the effort to where you were like, this is, this is it. This could happen. Yeah. There's, there's two light bulb moments. Number one is, is when you flip your first house and you put $30,000 of cold, hard cash in your pocket, right? As a poor kid growing up in West Virginia, right? Like you and I both like, let's be real. Our first jobs at foot action, I think we made $44,000 our first year. Yeah. Yep. Right, it was forty. Yeah, I think it was forty-two. Forty. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, forty thousand dollars. Yeah, in Jersey, which is basically nothing. Poverty. <laughs> and, and you probably negotiated a better deal, so you probably made forty-eight. You know, I made. Oh, uh, I didn't know. <laughs> I wish. Um, but we traded an entire year of our lives for forty-four thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. On our first flip, we made almost that much and I put it in my pocket, right? In cash for a three, four months work, right? And so you start to see that like, I can either trade all of my time for money or I can get creative and trade an asset to somebody else for more money. And that was light bulb moment number one. Um, and th- but there's a capacity to that, right? Like if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're like, Daryl, that's great. I'm gonna buy my first house and I'm gonna flip it you're only going to probably be able to do two, three, maybe four of those a year that you fully renovate. You might be able to wholesale more than that, but like you're really only going to be able to do so many of them by yourself. Like you're going to have to quit your job and really create, you know, a construction company or outsource it big time to scale it. But still like, even if it was your side hustle, you're making another 120 to $150,000 a year. If you do three to five houses, you know? So, the flip money was light bulb number two. We'll call it flip money, right? So it's like, okay, yeah. I made thirty to $40,000 on this flip, light bulb goes off. Second light bulb goes off when you start getting rent checks every month. And those rent checks far exceed what you owe on the property. So, you know, when we, the building I'm sitting in right now is 10,000 square feet. Um, it has 10 units, seven are residential, three are commercial, and one of those residential is short-term rental, meaning it's Airbnb, right? This building brings in a little over $10,000 a month, somewhere between $9,500 to $10,000 a month, depending on what kind of month it is. And what I will tell you is, is that our mortgage note on this is somewhere in the neighborhood of like $4,000, Right now, all that money has been reinvested into our real estate company. Like we, we bought another building down the street with that money. We pay, um, kind of ourselves and our maintenance team. Jesus is part of that coming out of that money on a consistent basis. But like 
you when you see those rent checks come in and they outweigh your debt service, you're like, okay, I get how this works over a long period of time, and I still own the building, right? Like I'm sitting in a building that we bought for three seventy five, and it's worth one point three million right now, and we had to put six hundred thousand dollars into it, but again, all of that debt service is being paid down by you know our our checks that come in here. Now people will say, well, like, oh, what about like the toilets and what about like, you know, I I don't mind like helping people. Like a guy dropped in the other day and said, my, my thermostat says low battery. Hey, no problem. Here's how you, how we fix that. Right. Or, you know, my toilet's clogged up or I've got a leak or whatever. Right. Like we've got reserves and people to help us do that. So, but if you don't have a stomach for that, then I would tell you to invest in real estate through one of those organizations you were talking about, right? Where you can just put your money in, get the tax benefits, and not have to deal with any of the headaches. You you also don't make as much, right? Like you don't get as big of a return on yeah. that. Yeah. So those are the two light bulb moments. Number one is flip money that's real. And number two is rent money that exceeds your debt service. That's good. That's good. Yeah, it's not so dissimilar. I'm talking to all the, the corporate cats, right? Or you got your... You know, you might have stocks and investments and, you know, all kind of things where, you know, you own a share, you own a piece of a company, right? You own a piece of paper that says I have a piece of Amazon, Apple, et cetera. But I think the notion of diversifying, because I think if you're a corporate person, right, your income is not your wealth. And we'll talk more about this. So next week, we're going to dig into, uh, you know, another side of this conversation. Uh, We'll flip it. Daryl put me in the hot seat because, you know, investments and things like that. So I don't know anything about real estate. Um, But I think the idea is your income is not your wealth, right? And so you need to translate income into things that can help build equity and build net worth. So your your income can be a great tool for that. But if you're spending it, or you're, it's a high consumption lifestyle. You don't have that opportunity. But I think now you and Joe found a way where, well, because you were you were still employed until very recently, right? So use that corporate income, health benefits, perks, and of course you like what you do. So it was a, it was a job that you liked, and you could do it funnels to other things. It powers that engine, and so that diversification of streams, corporate investments, uh, rental property you know, equity, all those dividends, tax credits. I mean, that's a, it snowballs into a pretty mature um, financial and economic outlook for you and your family. Now you could pass that on to Ella, Easton, Emmanuel in a way that I, so right, right, right now well, we have a, a okay net worth, but you know, there's, you know, there's tax things that we have, we'll have to pay for, but the real estate gives you something like I can tangibly pass this to somebody in a way that I, I, I think makes makes a huge difference, especially for families or people groups where we don't have a lot. I have a friend who um, I love his story. You know, his his grandfather has passed, but he always bought their family houses. So now they're in East Fort Worth. They own probably five or six houses and they aren't like crazy, nice houses, crazy big. But you know what? If you ever need a place to stay. Everybody in the family has a place to stay rent free. They own the equity. And so generationally, like he's made sure that you know, he's passed away, but all of his kids and grandkids will always have a place to stay. They have equity that they can count on. I'm like, wow, how powerful is that to change your entire family tree by building out, you know, real estate as a, you know, as a, as an asset. So I, I think there's something there that even smart corporate folks can really get into it um, in a way where, you know, it, it does have a meaningful impact. Yeah. And I would add to that, that 
you know, you are super successful um, by all means, right? But the one challenge you have is when you try to extract the capital that you've invested in the stock market. You can talk about that next week, right? Because there's capital gains taxes that you've got to pay on that. When yeah, I extract, it's real. <laughs> when I extract equity from a real estate project, like I don't have those those same capital gains, right? If I sell something, I might, but I've also got other deductions against other properties. But if I pull a line of equity or line of credit out of a property, like I don't have that same, I don't pay any capital gains on that. Yeah, it's good. It's a hack, man. It's a government, man. White people have been doing this for centuries. I'm telling you, black folks. We got to get on it. And we'll talk about that next week, too, because I, I do. I have some learnings hearing from financial advisors and this minority communities. Like we, Our financial literacy is just not where it should be. But then even when we have it, we aren't investing or doing some of the things. So we'll we'll dig into that. But question for you. Any other like misconceptions people might have or barriers to understanding how to how to start to to think about it you know, in a broader scale? Yeah, I think it's not that glamorous. And it's also not that complicated, right? Like, it's just, it's not. It's neither, it's neither one of those is true. Um, but it is a lot of fun. And if you enjoy it, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, Johanna and I both really enjoy it, so it's a lot of fun. Um, we both love certain types of property. Like, I would tell you, like, there's no right or wrong answer, right? Like, some folks out there just like things that make money. Right. So that's why some folks are big into trailer parks right now or they're big into multifamily, big multifamily. Right. Because they don't even have to see it. They can invest in that at a distance and have somebody else manage it. And they're good. Joe and I love real estate that has a story that we can bring back to life that screams of resurrection and restoration. Right. Like that's what we love. Anything with character. Um that is probably not the best advice from a financial perspective, but it's something that we love. It always creates challenges for us, you know, but the before and after photos are always really good. <laughs> yeah, follow Daryl and Joe's Instagram and Penny Lane, right? You guys have some really cool properties that you guys have done some amazing stuff. I appreciate that. And yeah, so like this is our effort at doing this full time. So the Calfi family business is real estate right now. You know, we've taken our girls into every old building we've been into every old house that we own or have looked at, right? They've all been into it. Um, and they use the same language that we do, right? So they say things like fix up or that house is busted or, <laughs> you know, they have their own design ideas all the time. And, and it's fun, right? Like, is it forever? I don't know. But for right now, it gives us the freedom and flexibility that we need. And it has been really good for our family. You know, I've been saying if, if we can do this for five more years and see how it goes, like, great. And to your point a couple of weeks ago, I do believe that AP, like I believe what you said last two weeks ago was true of that. Like, I think there'll be a corporate marketing job for me out there. I think there'll be a design job for me out there. If I want to go back to it, uh, even at 45 years old, I feel like that'll be the case. But while I'm younger and younger and healthy, I like, I want to take a shot at doing this, right? And see how yeah, see how it goes it. for us. I love it, man. Hey, we're we're all rooting for you. Uh, clearly, you you've been you've got enough experience on it where you're now you're training and mentoring other people, which is what I uh, and really admire about you and Joe is that you're you, you're passing it on, which I think is a very important key in any 
business, building a business, building a legacy and building wealth is like helping other people unlock that value and maybe accelerate some of the learning curves that you guys went yeah, through. Yeah, we've talked about that in the last couple of weeks, right? Until everyone around me has what they need. Um, and that means teaching them the basics like you're talking about and then also teaching them how to change their, their family's trajectory or outcome through things like home ownership. Um, we're actually setting up uh, IRAs for our team now. So like maybe love that. distributions yeah. um, or bonuses will go into an investment account, you know, instead of cash and they can add to that. Like just little things like that. It just, we're just using real estate and construction right now as a tool um, to kind of like create a new path forward for a bunch of folks who didn't have the same opportunities so that cool. we were given, you know? So, so cool, man. Um, okay. So we need, oh, go ahead. No, I think the last thing I want to finish off here is a lot of people say, well, okay, like what, what, do, what do I do? What's my next step, right? Like I, I love watching HGTV, you know, that's what most people do when they, when they go to. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the gateway. Like, oh, I could probably do that. Yeah. yeah. Property Brothers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that would be number one. Uh, number two, they, you know, love the idea you know, maybe they've done some work in their own house and they're like, oh man, like this is, we could flip this house or whatever. So like, I think there's like these sparks or nuggets in everybody. And so the first thing I'd say is like, just try it, like do one and see what happens, right? Like whether it's what I said in the beginning through your example of buying a first house and holding on to it and then renting it out. I've got a lot of young folks in my life right now who are house hacking. They're renting out a house per room, especially in a college town. And that's brilliant because it's like having a tiny apartment unit or tiny apartment complex where they're renting out each room. Instead of renting out one house for $800, they're renting out one house per room at three to $500 per room and making two to maybe two times what they normally would. And then that way, when they have somebody leave the house, they don't have 100% vacancy. They have 25% vacancy, you know, if they have four bedrooms. So yeah, it's good. It's a good one, right? It's a house hack. Um, back in the day, I think old school used to call it like rooming houses, but you know, guys on things like bigger pockets, which is a really popular podcast for real estate people. Um, they've talked about house hacking a lot. Um, the other one right now is finding something that you can convert over to short term rentals like Airbnb, because what you find is, is that if you got something that, rents really well and it's super cute you can bring in about three times what you normally would over your long-term rentals through short-term rentals like yeah it requires more work and yeah you have to outfit the house and all that kind of stuff but um short-term rentals can be a really good investment opportunity for people and then if you think about it when you're done with that you can either rent it out long term or you could flip it so because the house has probably been left in pretty good condition if it's been a short-term rental so i would say um look at that for your first opportunity and get your hands dirty. And then the, the other thing is like, if you want to learn more, if you want to read more, um, we'll put some links in the show notes to extra materials. I think everybody's got to read rich dad, poor dad. I think everybody has to read the alchemist. Um, yeah, it's good. I, I just read it last month. Maybe. Yeah. It's not a real estate yeah. book. It's just a mindset. Yeah, book, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that's it. I, and I think that's it. I mean, Mindset. That's it. I know that's overused, but like what you described, the difference between 2007 Daryl and Joe with zero dollars in their bank account and 2021, five million dollars in, in assets, healthy marriage, building a legacy, you know what you're doing for your community. It's like 
there's math involved, but it was more mental. It was the mindset shift. And to me, that was the, that was the key. Yeah. 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 And you know, I don't think any of those things happen on their own. Like they, they all happen in, in kind of lockstep, right? The mentality changes. Our hearts change first of all, right? Our hearts change towards each other. Our hearts change towards wisdom and receiving wisdom. Um, and then as the, as the word says, right? In fact, I was in James 3 today, and James 3 is about wisdom but has action to it, right? So it's like wisdom has action, and it acts humbly, and it, and it treats people as though they're more important than I am. And I think whether that's your marriage or your business partner, like those things, will that mindset will go a long way. And then that has snowballed into good business dealings, which, again, have had partners right which have had johanna like again these things don't happen on their own so i think mindset is number one and then having an abundance mindset right like you and i joke about this all the time or at least i think it's funny but they print money every day you just got to find more of it and so many people get so hung up on like well i don't have the money or i don't know where to get the money well you find the deal first vet the deal out and then i I am 100% positive that there is money out there to be lent, borrowed, um, that somebody else will make money on doing that for you, and you can do the deal. Yeah. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's such a the shift in terms of knowing that, like, there's always a financial tool to complete what you want to do. And if you can, to your, you said this, your heart changed towards receiving wisdom. There's people out there who will walk you through this. And help you kind of get more confident at it. And that's probably the biggest thing I learned even in our, you know, we only, you know, we're in our second house, right, of our marriage. But, like, that process of all the people we had to, like, lean on, Daryl, one of them, to, like, get through it. I was like, oh, like, funny. It, it was, yeah, we got in a house that, that we like, and, you know, but it's like the process, the people. It was the exchange that happened. The real transaction was with the people. And I, I realized that in real estate, you know, it's properties, bricks and mortar, but like the people aspect of it is a hugely powerful part of it. So I think that mindset where you're open to wisdom and to honor those things, I think there there's something there. Not to get too philosophical. I know we're talking like financial and practical, but there's something there that, yeah, it is, it's hard to ignore. Yeah, man. Um, and if anybody has any questions, you can find me um, at DarylCalfee.com. Or you can email me. It's DarylCalfee at gmail.com. We'll put that in the show notes too. I'm happy to answer questions as best I can. Again, with the asterisk that you get what you pay for. The advice is free, so it's worth about that much. But yeah, I love this stuff, and I love helping people. So yeah. No, you you guys are good at it. That thank you for your wisdom. Like yeah, yeah. You know, we and you've been bugging me for probably like two two years, right? Like, hey, yep. dude, like, what do you what are you doing? So it's funny. I wish, I guess, if you're on the fence or somebody's listening, you're like, hey, I'm thinking about it. I probably wish I had at least done done my do one. I wish I had that a couple years ago. Just to like get into it and start the process. Um, I, so I, would, I wouldn't wait until I feel like I've got it. It's like marriage or any kind of new job. Like you just kind of need to start going into it. But one thing Daryl said that I also want to highlight too is like you talked about your vision for your marriage and your family. It, once that kind of locked in, that's that's when some things started to accelerate. So, you know, during the month of October, me and Alicia, are we're going to, like, delete apps, social media apps from our phone. 
we're just going to spend October, 30 days, man. Like, it's our anniversary. It's my birthday. You know, 11 years together, 42 years for me on earth. We're just going to unplug and, like, work on, hey, what is our vision for our marriage, uh, our vision for our family? You know, this year has been interesting and crazy in many ways. And I just think that that focus, I think there's something about that where that intentional, you know, like, prayer of, hey, what what can we do next? God, what do you have for us? And, you know, if I, I think the real estate being a tool for for that is just one of the many things that are abundantly out there that, you know, I, I just think we're so busy. We haven't necessarily taken the time to, to look at some of those things. So I'm, I'm excited about uh, applying some of my Calfi wisdom. This yeah. is happening. Well, and on the other side of that coin, next week, we want to talk about investments, savings, um, yeah. securities, those kind of things, because you've done really well with that, especially now that you're not working full time that are creating some passive income. And so I want to hear more about that. Um, and I'll share, you know, what we've done on that side, which hasn't been as significant as you have, but like literally today I handed off distribution documents so that I could pull money out. So we're buying another building, but it came from the advice of, a of a financial mentor who said, Hey, put money in these places that it grows. And then when you need it to buy a building, you can get it right. So yeah, awesome. it's like a full circle. So next week we'll finish up this conversation and we'll dive into securities investments, you know, basically some of the blocking and tackling that you teach in financial peace, man. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited too. We'll share what we think we did, right. Some things we would have done better, but yeah, taking a big step back and just giving you tools, right? I mean, you know, no matter what the path forward is to freedom, uh, to create an opportunity, I just think it's that deliberate intention to actually do it. And, you know, coming out of corporate, I can see where, you know, I have friends and colleagues and peers who, um, have tremendous opportunity outside of just their day job. I was like, Ooh, I, I, well, when I was the boss or the coworker, I couldn't necessarily say something. And I'm like, man, you so need to be doing this. So I, I look forward to a transparent conversation about that as well. So stay tuned for that next week. Man, thank you. Just keep in mind, money is energy. Money is about ministry, right? Money makes things move. That's yeah. all it is. It's just a tool. Money is just a tool. Hey guys, this is DC, and this was the Unfollow Podcast. We hope you like what you heard today. And if you didn't, that's okay. There's 100,000 other podcasts you can choose to subscribe to. But if you like this one, do us a favor and subscribe or share it with a friend.